Well, it's a, it's a joy to be here today. I can't imagine a more beautiful place to worship. I feel like I'm up in the mountains somewhere, but when I step outside, I know I'm not yes, because sir. it's hot. Yes, uh, but I'm so glad to be here. I've known Paul for some time and have always been blessed by his presence, by his articulation of the truth. He and I have talked about different theological things, practical things in ministry. Uh, he is a man who loves you. He loves the Lord. He loves his family. And uh, so grateful just to be here today. And, um, you know, as I stand here, too, I also know that uh, Brother Paul is a tremendous teacher and, and has a lot of uh, opportunities that he's done through the years to teach at different levels. And I think you actually teach Latin, right? I do. Yeah. Holy smoke. So, um, but anyway, um, I've taken languages, but I've never really looked at Latin, so maybe you can teach me a little bit of that. Now, I had, my last name's Gongwer. Um, Jettle and Gong were very difficult names to either pronounce yeah. or spell, so I love to hear. Is it German? Polish. Polish, okay. So uh, I'm, I'm German, you're Polish. We, it's just hard to spell those names, but I'm sure they mean very good names and very good, good meanings behind them. I know uh, God, is, uh, God is using this church to reach this community, and it's a joy to be here. Um, just a little bit more about myself. I was raised Roman Catholic and at the age of 17 became a born-again Christian out of the alcohol and drug culture and then God eventually called me to ministry and uh, sent me to get equipped and, and through that I've had an opportunity to serve in different churches. Uh, a, a suburban urban church, Paul, I think what I'm talking about is it's a suburban church but it's becoming more urban. And so there's a lot of changes going on and a lot of challenges which uh, you have to uh, just make sure that you're kingdom minded about it and that that's a challenge for a lot of churches to make sure that you're continuing to reach the community with the gospel um, as as you heard a little bit about what I do one one thing that you need to know about Georgia Baptist is that we together we want to make sure that pastors are our heroes churches are our priority and Georgia is our mission field and so we want to make sure that we reach out uh, to, to churches all around, uh, really the areas, I serve the east central, southeast areas, and uh, in those areas there's about 1,200 churches, not to say I know all the pastors or been to every church, uh, but I try to reach out. Last week I was in four or five different places and spent the night away, but it was to, just to reach out to people. And throughout the week I'll have a call from a pastor who's in crisis or a pastor that's celebrating what God has done. And so I, I love to kind of be a minister to ministers, and uh, it is a joy uh, to do that. As I prepared this message today, I thought, well, what, what is a way that I can encourage and challenge God's people in regard to something that we all have, but sometimes we don't use wisely in regard to God's economy? And I thought about the issue of time. Uh, I was reading this quote by William Penn who said, time is what we want the most, but it's what we use the worst. Yeah, the Bible says a lot about time. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. And probably the one passage that we know about time probably best is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. Let me read that to you because it tells us that there is a time and place for everything. It says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, 
a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And then in verse 11 it says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And so God has given us this, this, this thing called time. And when I, consider, uh, when I consider time, I think that it's the one common denominator that we all have. We may have all different levels of education and experience. We all have different levels of influence. We have different jobs. We have different levels of wealth or different futures or past. We have a lot of different things about us, but the one thing we all have an equal amount of is time. We all have seven days. We all have 24 hours. We all have 60 seconds within a minute. We all have this, and as we spend this time today, what I want to do is make the best use of this time by talking about time from God's perspective because time is very important. You know, one of the things that uh, over the years that I've done, I've, I've had day planners and, and I've, I've, I've used Outlook and all these different things to make sure that I'm making the best use of time. But it's not just a practical matter, it's a kingdom matter. It's using time in such a way that we bring honor and glory to God, that we extend His gospel forward. We know that time for us personally will come to an end and we will slip into eternity. And we'll either go to heaven or hell based on what we did with Jesus Christ in our time here. And so the gospel needs to be centered to our life as we consider what to do with time. It will change the kind of interactions you have with people that you may slow down to be a witness to people. It will change what you invest your time in. There's a lot of things we do that is a waste of time. We squander time where God wants us to invest time for his kingdom. It doesn't mean there's not time for refreshment and relaxation and getting away from the things that pressure and stress us. I tell that to pastors all the time because they are consumed with ministry and they find their identity in ministry. But they need to understand that time is something that needs to be used even for the refreshment and relaxation. And I want to tell you this. I want to tell you that I appreciate the fact that this church does send their pastor and pastor's wives to our couples retreat. Uh, it is a time that they'll be blessed. I know they're coming. They're going to be going in just a few weeks, and uh, that'll be a joy to them. But just give your pastor a lot of time off. That's all I want to say about that. So, uh, and Paul didn't tell me to say that, but uh, but it would have been okay if he did. But in in Ephesians chapter five, what we're going to find is that, as you know, the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians uh, directly to this church. And this church became kind of a circular letter that it went from church to church to church giving instruction about how to live the Christian life. And he uses the word walk over and over again. And he, the word walk has to do with our conduct of life, our lifestyle, the way we live our lives in the world that we live in. And so what he's going to talk about is how to make time count. And I want to share four ways from this passage. And we find it in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 18. Let me read this. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, normally we start in, in verse 18, and then we work our way down into the different relationships we have that we submit to one another. It talks about the marriage relationship. It talks about the parenting and children relationship. It talks about the boss and, and the employee relationship. And, and that's where we go with the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it really is a connector of what's above it and what's below it. And what's above it has everything to do with redeeming the time, making sure that we use our time for the glory of God. And the first way we do this is to make time count, we need to walk wisely. Walk wisely. We see this in verse 15. Let me read verse 15 again. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but is wise. And the idea is that the reputation of the gospel is bound up in how we live our lives. The word circumspect, we don't use that word a lot, but the word circumspect has the idea of intently evaluating our circumstances and consequences and knowing that we will be evaluated for our choices. Man, it makes a big difference if you know that you're going to have to take a test at the end of a class, that you're going to have to get together with your boss to report back what you sold or, or what you've done with your time. It, it, it is important that we inspect what we expect. And God inspects what he expects. And that is how we use our time. But this is going to require wisdom. We know from James chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, friend, I want to tell you about wisdom. Wisdom does not come from watching sitcoms. It does not come from watching daytime television of, of these different pundits and talk show hosts. It doesn't come from that. It doesn't come from sitting in the barber chair and listening to the barber or the hairdresser about what their advice is for your life. It's not even from your family sometime or your friends. Sometimes we get very unwise advice. But when we turn to God's word and we allow God's word to give us the wisdom that we need, the Bible says that he will give it to us without reproach. You say, how do I know I'm receiving wisdom? I think with wisdom there needs to be a reverential fear of God. Now we don't like to talk about the fear of God. We talk about the love of God but the central quality of God is not love, it's holiness. And so if God is holy, then everything we come to understand about God needs to be in the spirit of a reverential fear. Not a terror where we are terrorized of God, but we have a reverential fear because we know that He is holy. And we know from Proverbs chapter, one, chapter 9 and verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is insight. So how can we walk wisely? We've got to seek God's word and have a reverential fear of God. Again, he says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. One thing I've been doing recently, and I had never done this before, is I ordered Jonathan Edwards' uh, resolutions. If you've ever looked at the resolutions, and you can get it like for six bucks on Amazon, 
If you ever looked at his resolution, number one, we all know the name Jonathan Edwards probably because you probably somewhere in literature class heard the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and you heard your, your English teacher go off about how horrible it was. That's the way it was for me. But when we consider Jonathan Edwards, he probably was the most brilliant man that America ever produced. And he was a part of something called the Great Awakening. Some say the first Great Awakening. Some say it's the only Great Awakening that we've had. But the first Great Awakening, he was one of the major preachers. He had been a pastor for decades. Uh, he eventually was the first president of Princeton University. Okay? He never got to hold the post. He died before he held the post. But, but he was a man who really had resolve in his life. And he, he wrote 70 resolutions when he was 18, 19, 20 years old. And if you read them, they're like, how does an 18, 19, 20-year-old have these kind of resolutions? Well, the last one in the apex was this. Resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way wow. I can. Wow. We don't need to waste time. We don't. Eternity lasts forever. You may have 60, 70, 80, maybe 100 years. As we heard today, what a testimony. But you know, 100 years is dropping the bucket to eternity. And God has called us to invest by walking wisely. Secondly, is we need to make time count by avoiding evil. You know, the thing is, life is not neutral. We have to understand that evil is around the corner everywhere. That not only is evil in our hearts, but also evil is around us. And we face one who is called the evil one. In verse 16, it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Notice that he says the days are evil. And how do we approach evil days? We have to redeem the time. Redeeming the time means to buy back, buy back time before we use it for evil purposes. You ever heard this statement? Idle hands are what? The devil's workshop. That's not in the Bible. Did you know that? But it is a biblical concept. And that is if we have unharnessed time, uncalled for time, that we're going to usually use it and squander it in a way that's going to lean toward evil. Here's a statement. Unplanned blocks of time normally slide toward evil. Say that again. Okay. Unplanned blocks of time normally slide toward evil. It's almost like there's a downward slant and if we put time and we don't Make sure that we're using it for God's glory or for constructive purposes. What happens is it, it just generally moves toward evil purposes. You say, that, do you mean I'm going to do things that are illegal or criminal or things that are going to be obviously wicked? Maybe not to everybody else. But you know if you don't guard your time that it's easy to slide away from what God has. I, I read this from an author. These are four laws of unseized time. Number one... Unseized time flows toward my weaknesses. It always flows toward my weaknesses. If we leave ourselves open to be attacked by Satan when we have an unguarded calendar. I mean, I know that. One of the things I try to do is I, I use Outlook and, you know, there's all kinds. I, I like productivity and all that kind of stuff, efficiency. So I block my time of when I need to do what I need to do. This afternoon I'm driving to Sandersville. Tomorrow I'll be in Alpharetta at like 9 o'clock in the morning and, and I've got to stay in a hotel over in 
Duluth and, you know, all these things there. But I, I want to make sure that I use my time for good and godly things. And it's very practical. So unceased time flows toward my weaknesses. Secondly, unceased time comes under the influence of dominant people. You know, there's a track that says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, okay? But you know what? A lot of people love you and they have a wonderful plan for your life too. And this is what I mean is dominant people can push you around to do things that really God's not leading you to do. That's why you have to be vitally tied to the Word of God. We can be, we can be driven. Number three, let me say this first. Unseized time surrenders to the demands of all emergencies. Have you noticed that? That if you have an emergency, guess what? You've got to take care of that. There are things that are urgent that take over those things that are important. But I really believe we ought to live by those things which are important. When the emergency comes, you take care of the emergency. But so often, it's like this. If you have an automobile and you don't do the oil changes periodically, you don't change, you know, you don't get your tires rotated and balanced. You don't make sure that, that used to we had to do tune-ups a lot more often and put the spark plugs in and all that. If you don't get your car taken care of, guess what? It's going to leave you on the side of the road. And we talk about time, the same thing is true. You need to invest your time in those things that are going to help you to make the most of what God has for your life. And then law number four, unceased time gets invested in things that gain public attention. <laughs> You know, those things that are going to get you praise, that are going to stroke your ego, those are the things that we tend to invest our time in. But that is not how God builds character for us to be women and men that God has called us to be. I believe the enemy takes advantage of unguarded time. And what does 1 Peter 5, 8 say? It says, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, these are lessons you need to learn as young as you can learn them. But it's not something you need to unlearn when you get older. So make time count by walking wisely, by avoiding evil. Number three, make time count by following God. Following God. Having an intimate, personal Relationship with God. Verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. The idea of understanding is assembling the facts into an organized whole. Let me ask you this question. Do you think God wants you to know his will? He does. Some of us think that, that God, is, God is trying to hold back on us. I don't know if you've ever had those times where you had to make a decision. You know, where you were, can you remember back when you were dating somebody and you're like, well, is this the one? I remember going through the process of trying to figure out if I was called to ministry. And you say, how did you figure that out? What was that call like? You know, I, I want to encourage you. You might be feeling called to ministry. I want to encourage you. If you're here today and you're feeling that call to ministry, please talk to your pastor. Talk to me. Because that is a path that God may have you on to call you to ministry. But here's what I would say to you is when I was being called to ministry, God gave me a lot of indicators. And it wasn't some senior adult lady telling me, hey, I think you're supposed to be a preacher. Now, that might have been an encouragement. But that was not God's call. I didn't want to be... Mama called, I wanted to be God called. 
But what did he do? He began to show me my gifts were in the area of teaching and preaching. He gave me a passion for the Word of God. At the same time, Sherry came into my life. And she didn't run when I told her that I was wanting to be a minister or thinking about being a minister. She didn't run. I'm so glad because we don't come from pastor families. So what did I do? I fasted and prayed over a season, not only about my call to ministry, but also really my call to marry Sherry. And at the end of that time, God gave me great confirmation about that. Was it an epiphany? Did he appear in the sky? Did he show up and write it in the sand? He didn't do any of that. But he continued to move me in that direction until he gave me a peace and I believe a strong call to do ministry. I can tell you, you would not stay in the ministry if you were not called to ministry. It's just not going to happen. And so when we talk about understanding what the will of God is, we need to assemble the facts into an organized whole and God is wanting to reveal his call to you. The word unwise means that we live by our impulses rather than God's wisdom found in his word. And I will tell you, too many people professing to be Christ live by their impulses and emotions rather than God's word. Sometimes your emotions and impulses can be contrary to God's word and you need to obey God's word. Amen. In Psalm 90 verse 12 it says, So teach us to number our days. They're limited that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I was reading about a man who went to his doctor. He had severe chest pains and after several tests, the doctor came back in the room alarmed. He said, listen, your condition is terminal. The man said, well, how much time do I have, doc? How much time do I have? He said, 10. He said, 10 days? 10 months? 10 years? What? 10 what? Then the doctor said, 9, 8, oh, no. 7. <laughs> Understand, Death was imminent for that guy. But what we understand about time is we don't know how much time we have. There is an urgency about time. I don't know if you know that. There's an urgency about investing and using our time, not to squander our time. James chapter 4 verse 14. What is your life? Your life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So we make time count by walking wisely, by avoiding evil, by following God, and by number five, four is surrendering control. And that's what we find in verse 18. And I love verse 18 because it tells me about being filled with the Spirit. Now when we read this passage, understand that we find evidence that throughout the book of Acts, being filled with the Spirit was a common experience for believers. Now just a little theology. Whenever you receive Christ, the Bible says that you are born again. The, the big theological word is regeneration. That God comes and he gives you a new birth in your heart. That where you were spiritually dead, now you are spiritually alive. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. And that's what baptism symbolizes. That renewal that happens in your spirit. That you were dead spiritually, now you are alive. And once the Holy Spirit makes you alive, he indwells you. And as he indwells you, he desires to control you. And the way he controls you is by filling you with the Spirit. And being filled with the Word of God is, is, is right there with being filled with the Spirit. A lot of people want to be filled with the, word, filled with the Spirit, but they have no regard for the Word of God. 
You cannot be filled with the Spirit and then not obey the Word of God. Alignment of your life with the Word of God is an expression of the fullness of the Spirit. So I want to talk about being filled with the Spirit for just a minute. He talks here about not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit. And a lot of people will say, okay, he's talking about intoxication with alcohol versus being filled with the Spirit. And there are brothers that will say to you, listen, if I'm filled with the Spirit, then I'm going to act like I'm spiritually intoxicated. In other words, I am going to lose control and the Spirit is going to take over and I'm going to do all these things that create spiritual manifestations that are supernatural and can't be explained by anybody else. And so they equate intoxication with alcohol, with intoxication of the Spirit, and that is not what it is saying. In fact, if you say, how do you know you're filled with the Spirit? Here's one way, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, you have the fruits of the Spirit. Can I tell you one of the fruits of the Spirit? Is self-control. So when you are filled with the Spirit, that means you're under God's control. That the Spirit gives you the ability to be under His control, not that you lose control. God gains control over your life when you're filled with the Spirit. Now, you say, how are you filled with the Spirit? Let me, very simply is this. If I know that I'm not walking with God, let's say that I've sinned against God, I've sinned, okay? When we sin, we we. We either quench the Holy Spirit by saying no to God and He's telling us something to do or we grieve the Holy Spirit by sinning. We call it sins of omission, sins of commission. So when I do sins of omission, it means I don't do, I omit what God tells me to do. Sins of commission means that I do things that I know God doesn't want me to do. And we find that in His Word, what we should and shouldn't do. And so we sin sins of omission, sins of commission. When we sin... We're no longer filled with the Spirit. So how do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, how do you get your sins forgiven? You confess your sins. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, guess what? When you confess your sin, that's your part. The rest of it's God's part. He, he forgives you and cleanses you. When that happens, then you are available back to God to be filled with the Spirit and you just simply yield yourself to God, and I believe God will fill you with the Spirit. I believe that's when you, you know, ask God for a hunger for His Word, direction from His Word, allow God's Word to shape your repentance, to turn in the direction He wants you to go. And you say, if I don't feel anything, does that mean I'm not filled with the Spirit? It's not about your feelings. It's about the filling of the Spirit. You've heard this before. I'm going to share four things about this this little verb here being filled with the Spirit, number one, it is a command to be obeyed. It's in the imperative mood. It's not a suggestion to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. The Christian life does not, does not work without the filling of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work. Number two, it's an experience to be shared. The verb filled is in the plural form, meaning that he is speaking to each and every Christian. Sometimes we think the only people filled with the Spirit are the preachers and the missionaries. 
every Christian that's born again, and there's only one kind of Christian, a born-again Christian, every Christian has the Holy Spirit within them. Now, I want you to understand something. A lot of people will say, I need more of God. You've got as much of God as you'll ever get because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You don't need more of God. God needs more of you. And that's where you're surrendering to God and everyone can and should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three, it is a request to be asked. The voice is in the passive, meaning that to be filled with the Spirit is something we ask for, but it's also something only God can do for us. I cannot force myself to be filled with the Spirit. He fills me when I repent and yield my life back to Him and get under His authority, the authority of the Word of God. And then number four, it's an action to be repeated. It's in the present tense. It's not something done in the past. It's not an aorist or a perfect tense. It is a present, ongoing, constantly seeking to be filled experience. He's not referring, guys, he's not referring to one awesome experience in the past, and that's being filled with the Spirit, and then I go to the future, okay? When you were regenerate, when you received Christ, the Spirit indwelled you, you were filled with the Spirit, you are going to have one filling after another. There are times throughout the day when you have sinned against God, you get on your face, you confess your sin, you repent of it, you turn from it, and you say, God, fill me with the Spirit again. Again, you may not feel anything, probably won't, but you are yielding, surrendering to Him, and now His Spirit is filling you again. Sometimes we confess sin and we still feel guilt, right? Well, sometimes God uses a sense of that shame to buffet us, but many times he wants us to just say, that's a feeling that I have. I'm going to trust that I'm walking in the Spirit. And even in the Spirit, God can continue to reveal. We, we learn from our failures. What this calls out to is a habitual submitting, requesting and yielding to God. There's one word that you need to have in your heart, and that is dependence. That you are dependent upon the Lord. Guys, we're, we're a lot of times we shift into neutral, and life just kind of carries us along. And that's not what we need to be. We need to be filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit. We need to allow the Word of God and good godly books and things that that will help us along to influence for the glory, the glory of God. We have limited time in this life. I, I heard this illustration one time and it really spoke to my heart. If you can imagine that, uh, it's easy to imagine, but you know, the world is circular, it's a globe, and, and let's just say they had the ability to take telephone poles and put them about a hundred feet above and they were all equal all the way around the earth and they were hundred feet apart even in the oceans they would go to the very depths of the oceans and they would put this thing but it would stand out of the ocean a hundred feet and it would go all around the globe and then what they would do is they would take a high attention wire and they would string that all along the globe until it reached one another and so you would have this high tension wire that would go thousands upon thousands of miles. 
and then you were to take a pocket knife and put a scratch on that wire, a little bitty scratch. That scratch represents this life and the rest of it would represent eternity. Except it would never end. And the question is, how do I impact eternity? It's how you use your time in the scratch that we call life. I don't think we ever retire from God. You say, well, what if I find myself in a nursing home one day and I'm conscious, aware of what's going on around me, what do I do? Maybe your ministry is prayer. That that's what you do. That you pray for people, you encourage people, you share the gospel with whomever God brings into your path. And it's not something I would wish on myself or anybody else, but you need to understand that no matter where you are, you are accountable to make sure your time counts for God. And guys, it's centered in the gospel. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he came from eternity to time and space to be beaten, to be spat upon, to bear the sins of the world, to die on the cross for our sin and to rise from the grave. He came to time and space out of eternity so that he can impact our time and space for eternity. In Isaiah chapter 55, and I'll close with this, listen to the time words in this. There's a couple of them, the same word, and it's in the same part of it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. For the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. Let's pray together. Amen. Father, thank you for the gift of time. Lord, some people have more time than others in this world. And some people can use a very little bit of time and bring God greater glory than someone who lives way past 70, 80, 90 years old. And it's not so much how much time we've been given. It's what we do with the time that we've been given. And so, Lord, as we think about the cross, the resurrection, as we think about our birth into the kingdom of God through regeneration and, and about the fact that now we have a relationship with God, that, Lord, help us to understand that time is precious, that how we spend our time is important, that we need to be in God's house every Sunday that we can be here. That we need to see our neighbors as our mission field. That we need to see the money that we use, that it would be invested, some of it, in the kingdom of God. It's all yours, but you've called us to invest a portion. And the reason is, is to express ownership, that you are the owner and we are the manager. The same thing with our time. We give one day in seven to express your ownership over all of it. And so, Lord, as we come to you today, today is the day of salvation. And you have said, seek the Lord while he may be found. You've told us to call upon him while he is near. And so, Lord, if, if you are convicting someone of sin, I pray that they would find themselves in a position where they would speak to the pastor about their need to repent and place their trust in Christ. 
Lord, if there's any here that may have a besetting sin, something that has created a wall in fellowship between them and the Lord, between them and you, Lord, today they would be willing to do what they need to, which is to confess their sins to you, repent of it, and get restored back to you. Lord, there may be some severed relationships or strained relationships because, because we have not made things right with somebody. Lord, time is too short. So many of the people that, and especially in church world, that, that we may have those hard feelings about or we may have been hurt over, those same people we're going to spend eternity with. And so, Lord, while we have time, Lord, help us to make the time to get things right. And so, Lord, I pray that as your word has come down to us, as I've shared the word, as it comes to our heart, that it would not be about information, but transformation. And we would walk out of here changed, new people, because your word has done a work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Paul. Appreciate that. Sure. That's a good word. The only thing that comes to my mind is one word. You find it in the Psalms. It's just Selah. You need to stop and chew on that one. There's so much in there. Amen? Man. I know, Mike, you and I have talked a lot about time, haven't we? And time management. Such a good word for us today. Just yesterday, went to my grandfather's 100th birthday party. And, and, and you, know what, you know what he said to the large crowd of family gathered there? He said, 100 years doesn't matter. He said, what matters is where are you with the Lord? And he said, all of my whole family, all that matters is, have you repented of your sins, believe the good news that Jesus died for your sin and resurrected again. Our God is a forgiving God. He's learned something in 100 years. <laughs> you know? Time. Appreciate that so much. May we consider what we've heard today. May we let the Holy Spirit of God apply that right on our hearts and really take a Selah moment. And that's what we do in our groups, our DLT groups on Tuesday and Wednesday, is we unpack this, what we just heard. Before the evening comes, this audio of this sermon will be uploaded to the Lake Wildwood. Facebook page listen to it again apply it to your heart so much good truth in there today amen